You're listening to the Faith Roots Audio Podcast with Pastor Willie George. You can watch the full video version of this episode and join the conversation with your comments on the Faith Roots YouTube channel. Simply search Faith Roots on YouTube and be sure to subscribe so you don't miss an episode. Now, here's Pastor Willie George with today's message. Welcome back to the Faith Roots Podcast. Our text is Numbers 13.2. I say Numbers, it's Nehemiah 13.2. Howbeit our God turned the curse into a blessing. Uh, the Lord gave Israel an incredible opportunity to possess the land of Canaan 40 years or about 38 years before they actually did. And it's here in the book of Numbers chapter 13 is where we begin reading. And this is when Moses sent spies in to spy out the land, not to see if the land could be taken, but to devise a strategy as to how it would be taken. They wouldn't go in blindly. They would go in knowing what they were facing. And so let's read uh, 13, 1 and 2. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Send men to spy out the land of Canaan, which I am giving to the children of Israel. From each tribe of their fathers you shall send a man, every one a leader among them. So they picked 12 guys, one from each tribe. And they went in to check out the land, to spy it out. And after the, 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 they uh, gathered together to go, Moses gave them a little bit more instruction. He said to them, verse 17, uh, spy out the land of Canaan, go up this way into the Negev, and go up into the mountains, and see what the land is like, whether the people who dwell in it are weak or strong, few or many, whether the land they dwell in is good or bad, whether the cities they inhabit are like camps or strongholds, and whether the land is rich or poor, and whether there are forests or not. Be of good courage and bring some of the fruit of the lamb. Now the time was the season of the first ripe grapes. So they went up and spied out the land. So they did. They went to do this. Now they did not realize this in the beginning. But this land was central to everything that God would do for them. In other words, God was not going to take them to some place in India or some place in Europe or some place in Africa or some other location on earth to do what he wanted to do for this nation. For whatever reason, this was the spot on earth that God had selected to develop for his people. So I'm going to read to you verse 23. We are going to see some things about the fruit of the land, but this fruit is highly symbolic. So let's read. Then they came to the valley of Eshkol, and there cut down a branch with one cluster of grapes. They carried it between two of them on a pole. They also brought some of the pomegranates and figs. Now there were three different kinds of fruit that they brought back to show Moses and the people of Israel. Number one, there were grapes. Grapes are symbolic of redemption. Grapes crushed are symbolic of blood. And so the fact that they are seeing these grapes in this incredible uh, 
uh, and these incredible numbers, and they're really big, big grapes. This shows that God is going to work the plan of redemption in this land. When the children of Israel were out of the land due to the captivity, God told Daniel that the captivity would have to end in order that the children of Israel could go back, that the Messiah could be cut off in Jerusalem. So Jesus couldn't die just anywhere on planet Earth. He had to die in one location, one place. Jerusalem was the spot, the exact spot. And so here, the grapes are symbolic of redemption is going to be completed in this country. The second thing is that they saw pomegranates. Now, on his staff, the high priest had a pomegranate carved, and it was placed on top of this wooden staff, and the pomegranate is a symbol of worship. And so these people didn't know anything about worship. Worship was something that was unknown to them. It was only later as God began to form them as a nation and as he began to organize them in groups and establish a priesthood, did they learn anything about worship. And the temple where God would put his presence, the house that he would have them to build, and the altars that he would have them to worship with, this is where they would see the remarkable Shekinah glory, the presence of God in their midst. And uh, this was a remarkable thing. The Queen of Sheba saw this whole thing, and she said that the half of this was not told me. It was such a magnificent thing to see God worshiped in Jerusalem at the temple uh, during the time of Solomon. And then finally, there were figs. Figs are like the staff of life in the Middle East. They're like bread to us in America. Uh, they're like wheat. Uh, it's the staff of life. Figs are very plentiful, and they're a staple, and so they're like bread. They're not sweet like uh, grapes would be, uh, but they're very much like bread. It's a good analogy here. So figs are symbolic of daily provision. So three things then God is saying to them all in verse 23. This is where you will find your redemption. This is where you will learn to worship. And this is where you will find your provision. That's what verse 23 is saying. Now, it is important to understand that God set up this whole conquest. It was an ideal setup. Listen, no boxing manager puts his young fighter in a match against somebody that he cannot beat. Yet when you read this and you pay attention to the 10 spies who were full of fear, they had the idea. We're in a match that we cannot win. We can't beat these guys. But when you listen to Joshua and Caleb, who the ones filled with faith, you see a totally different picture. You see that, yes, indeed, we can win this battle, and this is a setup. And I'm going to go through each of these things to show you how much of a setup is. All the spies thought, the ten spies, all they saw 
were the negatives. They did not see the positives. So let's take a look at this. Verse 28 is where we're going to begin reading. They came back and they said, Nevertheless, the people who dwell in the land are strong, the cities are fortified, and very large. Now what does that mean? It means that these cities were already developed and that there was a place for every Israelite to live. In other words, the population of Canaan was roughly the size of the population of the Israelis as they're coming into the land. So this land was completely developed for them. Now think about this, that you bring 3 million people, 600,000 men of war, plus a mixed multitude, plus the women and the children, probably somewhere in the neighborhood of 3 million people. You're going to bring them into the land and it's only a place where flocks have been grazed and herds have been fed. No, what has happened in the intervening period between the time Jacob left and the time the children of Israel come back, these large cities have been built and developed. And the fields have been planted. The crops have been planted. The, the rocks have been pulled out of the fields. Israel's a very, very rocky place. So in order for these crops to be grown, they had to de-rock all of these fields. And uh, they had to develop all of this. And that's exactly what happened. They said the cities are fortified. They're very large, meaning that this is a setup for us. God wouldn't bring them into a land that couldn't sustain or support them. All right, here's the next thing. They said the cities are fortified. Now let's stop and think about that for a minute. If the cities are fortified, what are these people afraid of? Certainly not the Israelites. The Israelites had only recently come there. No one was expecting them. So the cities were fortified well before the children of Israel came. Why would you fortify a city? Because you don't get along with your neighbor. And so these were individual city-states which would, could be taken one at a time. If in Egypt you fought against one city, you had to fight the whole country because Pharaoh would come and defend with his army if you took one little part. Same thing is true of Rome. If one part of the Roman Empire was attacked, Rome would use all of its empire resources to go after the invaders. They wouldn't let such a thing pass. But this is not the case in the land of Canaan. In Canaan, you can fight one city at a time. This place was set up to be taken in steps and stages, which is the hallmark of how God leads. So here's another one. The spies said, we saw the descendants of Anak there. We saw the Amalekites. They dwell in the land of the south. The Hittites, the Jebusites, the Amorites dwell in the mountains. And the Canaanites dwell by the sea and along the banks of the Jordan. So let's count this up. There are the children of Anak, the Amalekites, the Hittites, the Jebusites, the Amorites, and the Canaanites who live by the sea and by the Jordan. Seven different unique groups of people. This is not a consolidated empire. These are not people who all speak the same language. These are not people who believe and support each other. This is a group of people who can be conquered one at a time. So what looked to be a great obstacle was really a great setup. Verse 22, it says, They went up through the south of the Negev, and they came to Hebron. 
where Ahimon, Shishai, and Talmai, the descendants of Anak, were there. Those are three sons of the giant, which means they too were giants. Now think about this. The children of Israel had 600,000 men of war, and the spies were in fear of three giants? You mean to tell me that 600,000 average-sized men could not fight against three giants and beat them? I mean, if all of them just took a rock and threw it, you would have 200,000 rocks per giant. There's certainly a few of them are going to hit the spot and knock the giant down. I'm telling you that they were so focused on the negative, they didn't see that this was a setup from God to take over the country. Here's another thing. The scripture says they came to Hebron. What's so special about that? Hebron is where Abraham buried his dead. He bought the cave of Machpelah, first of all, to bury Sarah. Later he was buried there. Then Isaac, then Rebekah. Finally, Leah was buried there. And lastly, Jacob, after he died in Egypt, was brought up by Joseph and buried in the cave of Machpelah. Now this is fascinating because when you take these Hebrew names and you take the first letter of each name, it spells something very important. Isaac begins with a yod. Then there is Sarah, which begins with a sheen. Then there is Rebekah, which begins with a resh. Then there is Abraham, which begins with an aleph. Then there is Leah, which begins with a lamed. And so you have yod, sheen, resh, aleph, Lamed. That's how you spell Israel in Hebrew. And then there is Jacob, whose name is also Israel. So as they come to Hebron, there is a very important cave there that is marked with this name, Israel, Israel. And it's God's way of saying, look, I know there are giants here, but my people have been here long before the giants and they were able to overcome the giants. And the giants did not stop them. Even though they were few in number, the giants did not stop them from being blessed. How much more so you, who are now a great nation. Finally, it says in verse 32, The land through which we have gone as spies is a land that devours its inhabitants. You know what that's saying? They're saying there's a plague going through the land and the Canaanites are dying like flies. What does it mean? It means that it's going to be that much easier for the children of Israel to come in and take possession of this land. Everything that they pointed to as a negative was really a positive. So I want to tell you, when a curse comes against you, when negative circumstances come against you, be careful that you don't magnify those things and blow them so out of proportion that you cannot see that they could very well be a setup for your victory. God set up the conquest of Canaan so the children of Israel could take it one step at a time. This generation didn't do it, but their children did. See you tomorrow. I want to thank you for watching our podcast today. And if you really liked it, would you please give us a little thumbs up by clicking on that sign down below? 
And then I would encourage you to subscribe to our channel so you don't miss any of our future podcasts because they're all going to be good. And if you would like to support us financially, either with a one-time gift or recurring gift, you can do that by clicking on the link below or going to myfaithroots.com. Thank you so much for watching this program. We hope this message has been a blessing to you. Ratings and reviews help us reach more people. So take a moment to leave a review on your podcast app and consider sharing an episode with a friend or family member that needs to be built up and encouraged in the Lord today. Thank you for listening.